Want to know why your interiors or images don't look like the ones you see on your favorite social media feeds? What if I said I could let you know and show you what's missing and how to transform your spaces with clarity and confidence? The truth is creating beautiful interiors is simple when you know the right strategies, but most people go about it the wrong way. This is why I created the Styling Masterclass. It's the only program that simplifies the art and science of styling, giving you the clarity and confidence to take your interiors to the next level and attract your dream customers or clients so you can make your creative dreams finally possible. This is for you if you're an interior designer or photographer, have an Airbnb, a homeware shop or e-commerce business, and you want your interiors to look like the ones you see in your favorite books, magazines or Instagram accounts. Come learn how to style using my signature method so you can elevate any interior and create compelling imagery, which is your most effective marketing tool if you're selling a product or service in the world of interiors. Any successful business owner knows that styling is your secret weapon to cut through the visual noise, stand out from the crowd and grow your business. Styling is something that you don't want to leave to chance. In today's world, images are everything. This is why leading interior designers and architects always use stylists to finesse their spaces for photography to make sure they've got incredible imagery that they can use for their socials and website. Come learn how to make styling not only an essential element, an easy way to create content for your socials and website, but learn how it can propel the growth of your creative business. If you're serious about creating beautiful interiors and a business you love without struggling in obscurity, this is the program for you. I'm going to share my process and give insights that you're not going to get anywhere else because I've been working as a professional interior stylist for the past 15 years. The Styling Masterclass will give you that clarity and confidence you need to take action and connect with your dream customer or client so you can make your creative dreams possible. Go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level to learn more and enroll now. Enrollments are open for only a short time. So please, if you're interested and you're ready to take your interiors to the next level, go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level. It was a high intensity environment, but I loved it. I love the intensity. I love the passion. Like that was for a long, long time. My motto was, I want to live a life that I love. You know, I just, I want to love what I do. And it was just the biggest joy to work in that kind of environment. Welcome to Imprint, a podcast about creating a home and life you love. I'm Natalie Walton, an interior designer, stylist, and best-selling author focused on an holistic approach to homes. Each week, I'm sharing insights and interviews about the creative process to help you enhance both your interiors and well-being, as well as provide you with the tools and resources to make considered and sustainable choices with all that you create. Hello everyone and welcome to Imprint. Today is going to be a little bit different and not just because I've got a sore throat and sound a little bit husky. I've had something on my heart for a long time and it's time to share. 
I have to admit, I'm actually a little bit nervous and excited. And I've been doing this for long enough to know that that's just part of the process. This is episode 145 of the Imprint podcast. And some of you might have been listening since the beginning. And if you have been, thank you. I'm so grateful that you're here. And some of you might be more recent listeners. If you listen to what we call the intro for the podcast, Imprint is all about sharing the biggest lessons I've learned to help you create a home and life you love. I'm basically sharing, you know, we all have different lessons and I'm sharing the ones that I've learned on my journey in the hopes that you don't have to go through some of the growing pains that I've had to go through. And please excuse if you hear a loud popping noise. It's because we've just had a massive storm and I think things are falling onto the roof of the studio where I'm recording. But let's let's move on. And um, and so for the past 145 lessons, most of these lessons have been about how to create a home that feels good for you. And I've interviewed many people who are on this journey too. Some of them are fellow interior stylists and interior designers, as well as shop owners, I kind of wear all of those hats, and others are experts in particular fields, such as feng shui, uh, to people who specialize in paint, natural paints and natural wall finishes, and more. And I really love sharing these stories and what has worked for me in my home, and also, of course, um, to create a space where others can share their own lessons as well. But today, I want to try something different. And over the coming weeks, I'm going to share a new series on the podcast, and I would love for your feedback on it if you find it helpful or valuable, and if you'd like to have more of these types of episodes. So what is this series about? I'm going to be leaning more into the idea of sharing ideas about how you can create a life you love, specifically how you can turn your passion for interiors into a way to earn a living. Now, this can look very different for you depending on where you are on your journey. You might be curious to earn a little money on the side while you've still got little ones at home, or maybe your children are now all at school and you feel that now is the time to focus on turning your passion into a thriving career or business so that you don't have to go back to a nine to five office job Or maybe you're an interior designer and you want to build up your business so that it can grow alongside you. You're here most likely because you're a creative at heart. But if you want to learn how to turn your hobby or your creative ideas into a thriving business, well, this is what this series is all about. It's how to make a living doing what you love. And to kickstart this series, I'm going to share my own journey over the past 25 years and share 25 of the biggest lessons I've learned on my creative journey, which have helped me be where I am today, running two separate businesses, a homewares business with e-commerce offering, as well as a brick and mortar presence and an online business that encompasses books, education and design. And collectively, those businesses generate more than seven figures and support my family of six, as well as employ seven staff or eight, if you include me. Now, 
I am not great at remembering dates, so I've had to create a timeline to go along with this episode, which I'm going to share with you in the show notes. So if you want to take a look at that while you listen to this episode, you might find it helpful to get a sense of this journey. And I've also created um, a um, a resource to go along with this template, uh, sorry, with, with this episode um, sharing the biggest lessons as well. So you can get that if you go to nataliewalton.com forward slash podcast forward slash 145. And of course, I'll put a link in the show notes too. All right. We're going to go way back, way back to 1999. At that time, I was doing a master's in journalism at the University of Technology in Sydney. And prior to that, I did a Bachelor of Arts at the University of Sydney, and I majored in English literature and at the time what was called women's studies. And it, well, it then got changed to gender studies. I don't know what it's called today. But um, during that time of doing my master's in journalism, a big part of it, it was kind of like a coursework master's. And so a big part of it was creating a portfolio of work of what I wanted to do. And I had finished my Bachelor of Arts at Sydney Uni and, you know, I love books, I love reading. And so that was basically my degree in many ways. But I got towards the end of this degree and I thought, what on earth am I going to do now? And so the natural step seemed to be, well, maybe I should go into journalism because, you know, I enjoy writing, I, I love English. So it just seemed the kind of the, the natural next step, but I didn't really know how to get into that and decided, well, maybe I'll do my master's and, and that can be a way for me to do that. So as I mentioned, a big part of that was creating a portfolio of work. And so I wrote um, reviews of art exhibitions around Sydney. I would write film reviews for a street newspaper called City Hub. I'm not even sure if it's still around or not. And um, and I even wrote an article about my now husband and his friends who at the time were living in this giant share house in Kirribilli in Sydney. And it actually got featured in the Sydney Morning Herald as part of a young writer's column that they had at the time. And I actually got featured. They took a photo of me because I had to submit a photo and, um, and they put it on the masthead. And at the time I was working, I'd actually ended up getting a job as a finance news writer. Another story, I'm not going to go to every single little detail because we will literally be here all day. And I really want you to just get some of these quick little wins and understand these lessons that I've learned. And, um, anyway, we would get the newspaper delivered every day at this, um, newswire service where I worked And my face was on the top fold of the newspaper. And I remember one of the old school journalists who worked there, you know, who's teasing me a bit about it and, um, you know, the way that people used to do in the workplace and, um, you know, saying like to my boss, like, look, Ralph, you know, she's on the top of the Herald, (laughs) you know, kind of along the vibes of like, she'll be wanting a pay rise right now. Um, And so for me, getting published was huge. Like to see my name in print in one of, well, it's still, you know, one of the most respected newspapers in Australia. It's, um, was a broadsheet at the time. And, um, you know, it was very coveted to not only have your work published, but then to kind of get it featured on the masthead was, was massive. And, um, you know, and so my big lesson that I learned with that was you just never know until you try. And so that's my encouragement for you is that you just don't know what's possible until you try. So then 
about the age, about a year or so later, um, in 2000, I was, um, I'm going to be giving all my secrets away because at that age I was about 24 and I was actually very quickly rose up the ranks of the small business that I was working for. And I ended up managing at the age of 24, 10 staff and being paid more than many of my peers. I was paid more than my boyfriend, who is now my husband. Um, I was, I think, quite possibly paid more than my parents, definitely my mom. And um, I actually had to dig up my old CV to kind of look at what I was doing and trying to work out the dates. And I wrote on my CV that I managed 10 staff. I hired and trained them. I allocated stories and duties to each of the staff. I developed editorial strategies and negotiated with investors and joint venture partners because I was always being taken to these business meetings. And honestly, like I'll go to these business meetings um, with men who are in their 60s and my boss was in his 70s and I was 24 and um, contributing to these conversations. I still can't quite believe it, you know, and quite, you know, like with Bloomberg and all of these big news agencies. Anyway, and um, I organized, wrote and designed the websites um, as well as reporting on international finance markets, sub editing copy. And then there was a separate division, which was um, an internet streaming news service. And so I presented live to camera financial news reports, interviewed business leaders, produced films, scripted and edited company profiles and developed editorial strategies. So it was amazing. Like the stuff that I was doing then, it, 24 was a huge year. It was actually the same year that I, I will go into this in a moment, but I bought my first apartment and I also got engaged and completed my master's. So that year was a big, big year for me. And, um, you know, the big lesson for me was that, you know, hard work pays off. I actually used to get up at to report on the closing markets of the New York Stock Exchange would get up at um, I think it was 3.30 in the morning sometimes because I would get picked up at four o'clock. We would get to the office before five o'clock and then between five and six, we'd write the news reports for the closing of the markets. And in the evenings, so I would get up at 3.30 and in the evenings, I would work all day, like an eight hour shift. And then I would go to university. I would do my coursework and do go to my classes for the master's and then go to bed and like get four or five hours sleep and then start all over again. And um, often I was working Saturday mornings as well because the New York Stock Exchange was still open and like it was, but I kind of loved it. Like, I know it sounds really strange to talk about creativity and talk about writing about the stock exchange, but it was just so exciting to be writing. And it was a really exciting time in the stock markets as well. This was like when so many of the tech stocks were coming into being and it was just yeah, a really, really interesting time. So but I really learned, you know, that hard work pays off. And I just did it because I loved it. The next step in my journey was actually, as I sort of flagged before, really learning the power of leveraging income and doing that through renovating homes. So as I mentioned, when I was 24, I bought my first apartment, which was an apartment in Bondi, an Art Deco apartment. And, um, and I actually looked this up and I paid for it at the time, $275,000. Um, and I bought it on in March, 2001. And, um, I sold it for a few years later for like basically about $200,000 more. We had renovated it. I mean, even at the time it wasn't necessarily like the best price the market was kind of coming off, but it was one of those things that like, wow, you know, in just a couple of years, 
the amount of money that we were able to make off that apartment by renovating it and just the value of the property going up. And it's funny because I was looking at real estate photos and it's still got the exact same kitchen that I installed 20 years ago. I mean, it was a very basic white Ikea kitchen. That was all I could afford at the time. Dark charcoal tiles on the floor in the kitchen. And, um, you know, that we had installed a second bedroom. We had closed off. Um, they'd had like an open space for a dining room. We closed it off for a second bedroom. So we added value. And at the same time, my husband, he bought a two bedroom, tiny terrace house in Newtown in Sydney. And he had paid about the same amount. And we actually sold that um, a couple of years ago. It was actually during COVID. Somebody bought it sight unseen just by a video, which is just incredible. And, um, but we, and we made, you know, quite a bit of money because we'd held it for about 20 years at that point. And it just, this lesson comes back over and over that like real estate, if you buy well, you can really make good money on real estate. And it's one of the best ways to leverage your income and one of the easiest ways to make money in many ways. It really is like one of those closest things to passive income you can get. So you know, the big lesson there was about the power of leveraging your income. The next big step for me was when I went overseas and I worked, um, I basically, my husband and I went to live in London and I really struggled to find a job as a journalist. I actually ended up getting offered a job. This was in 2002. I got offered a job after applying for something like a hundred different jobs at the time, it was so hard to get a job, a paid job, because people were just volunteering to work at various newspapers and for free, you know, because they had wealthy parents who could just, you know, bankroll them to do that kind of thing. But I actually needed to earn an income because we had rent to pay plus pay plus I did have to make up a little bit of a shortfall in the mortgage that I still had in Sydney on my apartment. And I got offered a job at a dangerous, dangerous shipping goods weekly. I think that's what it was called. And, um, and I'd also applied for a job, um, with a product design company in London. And I was at that moment of like, should I go for this job that just sounds like the most boring job in the world on this particular newspaper? It's as, you know, a journalist, or do I just do something different and actually something it's not my career, even though I had been, you know, managing all that stuff. I had been on a really good income. Um, and you know, like I said, all those things that were happening and I really had to take a major, major step back, not only in salary, but position and all of those things. And in the end, I decided that I was going to work for the design company because, um, I just wanted to be around interesting and inspiring people, people doing what they love. And, um, and, you know, in many ways, it actually ended up being such a good decision because my husband and I, we traveled around Europe. We spent so many hours, like we would every single week, we would go to different galleries in London. We went to all pretty much all of them. And there are a lot of galleries in London, like the old historic ones, the tiny ones, um, like the John Soames Museum and all these different ones. And, um, and it really did become, because I wasn't then, you know, focused on work as such, you know, in terms of a career, I really, in some ways, um, opened up my eyes to the world of design and art. And we would go to historic homes. We would, um, you know, 
it was, it was like an apprenticeship in some ways. You know, I got an education in the visual arts that I would never have had the confidence to do while it was, I was at university. And while I was working there um, at this particular company, I actually said, look, I can write your press releases. I'll get you in the design press. And they got so much design press that they'd never, ever had before. And so it ended up being, you know, a really good experience. And so my big lesson and takeaway from that period was to really make the most of what you've got. You know, sometimes life throws you lemons and you don't, you know, end up where you hope that you're going to be. But really just try and make the most of any given situation. And I think if you kind of go with that approach, it can really serve you well. So the next big stage in my kind of creative journey and opening up my eyes to what was possible for me was actually when I was planning my wedding, which was the majority of the planning was in 2003. And um, and again, because I wasn't so kind of kept wrapped up in my um, career at the time, I, you know, plunged into this, but I had to be really scrappy because we had so little money because I really, as I said, had to take a really big pay cut um, with my job. And so I had to get creative and I, but I just loved it. And so um, we found these beautiful cards, vintage cards in Prague when we went traveling there and we used those as the invites um, for the actual wedding. Um, with a friend, we did all the flowers ourselves and we went to the flower markets and I fell in love with going to the flower markets. We created um, CDs as gifts with like a playlist of all this vintage jazz for our guests as favors. I don't even know people still call it them that, but the gift that you give to your uh, guests, we decorated the venue. And so, um, you know, it really just, I just love that whole process so much. And it was my really first opportunity other than doing the renovation of, you know, really tapping into my creativity, not so much the writing, but the sort of the visual creativity. And, um, and for me, you know, I think the big lesson there was to really follow your bliss. And I want to share this. Um, this is a quote from Joseph, Joseph Campbell, who actually coined that kind of idea. He was a writer and professor, professor of literature, and he was famous for writing about the hero's journey which has influenced many writers since and has become the blueprint for basically every successful film that you know. So what he said is, follow your bliss. If you do follow you, your bliss, you put yourself on a kind of track that has been there all the while waiting for you. And the life you ought to be living is the one that you are living. When you can see that, you begin to meet people who are in the field of your bliss and they open the doors for you. I say, follow your bliss and don't be afraid. And doors will open where you didn't know they were going to be. If you follow your bliss, doors will open for you that wouldn't have opened for anyone else. It's such a beautiful quote. And I'll put that in the show notes too. Um, it's just, I, I really believe in that, that you should follow your bliss. And that is definitely one of the big lessons that I've learned on my journey. So the next stage of my journey was, um, well, as I mentioned, I got married in January 2004. And um, at the time I was working for shortly after that, like the next month, I started working for a medical newspaper. Now, this was a very challenging time for me. I didn't really enjoy working there. There were some personalities that just I didn't really get along with. Some of them were very negative or um, 
very condescending towards some of the staff and it just wasn't a very nice environment. But, you know, during that time, I just focused on improving my writing, my editing skills. I actually um, was trained by the photo editor on how to, you know, search for images for the, the photos that went into the newspaper and what was involved with that. And I guess my big lesson from that time was to be patient, that your time will come. Um, you know, I know that sometimes it can be challenging and we can all go through seasons where we feel like we're not getting anywhere. And I definitely felt like that during that season. And I was just holding on for dear life so often. And I gave myself the goal that I would stay there for 18 months because I didn't want to be looking like I was chopping and changing jobs all the time. I feel like that's perhaps more common now. But back then, it was a time when people really would stay in a job for like at least five years before you would try change a job. But I thought, okay, I've got to stick with this for at least 18 months and then I'll start looking for another job. And as it so happened, the one of the people who'd worked there um, with me, she, she actually reached out to me recently. So Katie, if you're listening to this, hello. <laughs> I, I I still I'm so grateful for you putting my name forward for the job at Real Living. Um, so she got a job at Real Living and um, and then actually went on to work for another publication and put my name forward. And she knew that I was creative and like I just was desperate to get out of this other job. And um, and so that was I went to, I remember going to that interview and just being so nervous because I just wanted it so desperately. And um, I remember because I'd worked in kind of quite a corporate environment. And so I had like a white blouse and this black skirt with it was um, it kind of swirled a little bit. But it was sort of knee length. I can it had a pinstripe on it. And um, and I remember sort of dressing quite corporate. And then I stepped into this office and everyone was much more casual and creative and I remember thinking, oh, no, she's not going to hire me because I just I look so kind of boring in a way and corporate. And um, and, you know, she was very creative. But um, thankfully, I, I did get the job. And really, it just getting that job really changed everything for me. And um, and it was um, six months after that, the uh, I started as the deputy chief sub editor and um, and. Six months after that, I was offered the job as a deputy editor. I will go into that in a moment. But I I just worked. I love that job so much. It was working on an interiors magazine. It was just like it was the kind of job that like I would have paid them for me to work there. Like I just I loved it so much. And so the big lesson for me was do what you love and the results will follow. And, you know, I've always been a hard worker. And I worked so hard and just gave everything. And but not just like hard as in, you know, working late, but I was always thinking of ideas and sharing ideas because I was just so excited about it. And um, and as I mentioned, you know, I actually ended up getting promoted over my own boss for the job of the um the deputy editor because I think the editor could see that I just I was really passionate about the magazine and really passionate about doing that work. So, you know, that was definitely a big lesson for me. And as I mentioned, I was then promoted to the role of deputy editor. And during this time, it's really kind of interesting because 
it working on a magazine, particularly during this period, this was about 2006, it was, you know, this was like the heyday of magazines and it was a really frenetic pace. It was a high intensity environment, but I loved it. I loved the intensity. I loved the passion. Like that was always like for a long, long time, um, my kind of pa- uh, sort of my motto was, you know, I just, I, I want to live, live a life that I love, you know, I just, I want to love what I do. And it was just the biggest joy to work in that kind of environment. Like I, I just loved everything about it. And, um, and you know, there were, you know, I was working on so many things. Like I just kind of wrote down like some of the things, like I, I was obviously writing features for the magazine. I was, um, you know, briefing freelancers. I was editing freelancers work as well as the staff work, producing features, producing and writing house features, writing travel features, interviewing interior designers and other, you know, people, professionals in the industry, um, proofing the pages like that and writing the headlines, you know, coming up with the concepts for each issue, um, you know, going over the pages, which was like the headlines, the text, the images, like questioning everything on the page, which, you know, has served my books, my courses, my free resources, you know, even things like Instagram, like it's just the way that I show up and even creating this, um, this podcast. And I guess one of the big lessons that I learned from that time working on that magazine is that creativity is being resourceful. It's really how you get stuff done. And even though we were working on a magazine that was, you know, selling, you know, tens of thousands, I think at the time it was, I mean, some issues would sell 120,000 copies, um, but it was more realistically probably around like 70 or 80,000 copies. That was like sales, of course, you know, they would um, have different numbers because, you know, magazines would sometimes be placed in hairdressers. So you, you, they would calculate the number of people that would actually see the magazine as much higher than that. But um, we had to actually be super resourceful because each magazine had a very, very tight budget and it was the editor's job to work within that budget. So for all the shoots, we had to constantly be resourceful and use our creativity in that way. And, and that was a huge lesson for me during that time. You know, I think so many times people, and I hear this over and over again, that, you know, but I don't have the money or, and, and they see that, um, you know, a budget as a restriction. But I think that when you have those constraints, it really forces you to be creative and get scrappy again. And we would, you know, do what we could with whatever resources we had available. So that was a huge lesson during that time was that creativity is actually being resourceful. Around that time as well, this was in 2007, I started my blog Daily Imprint, and this really was my apprenticeship into creativity. It was, it was really, it started because I was interviewing all of these creatives and I was just amazed by like, how are they doing this? How are they actually managing to make a living? How are they managing to have a career? Like, how are they managing to make money and make money and support themselves? like doing what they love. And I mean, I've still got friends to this day, very good friends of mine who I met through interviewing them for the magazine. One of them is a photographer. Another one of them had her own little product business. And I just was so fascinated by all of these different people 
within the interiors industry, different, not just interior designers, but I would go to the product fairs and um, at the time it was life and style and um, go and meet all these different people and interview them. And I was just like, you know, some of them were had designed a completely new product. Others were importing products or distributing them. Um, some of them had homeware shops. And I was just so ends- endlessly curious about them and how they'd made this possible. And so I started interviewing them because when I would interview them for the magazine, often I would have like 50 words and it was just never enough. And so I was curious to learn more about their journey. And so that's how my blog Daily Imprint started was wanting to share an interview every day. So I did it five days a week of all these different types of creators, uh, including artists and like I said, writers, photographers, um, interior stylists, interior designers, it's all there, all there. So we'll put a link in the show notes if you want to go and check that out. And, um, and I learned so much from interviewing these people and it really did give me the courage to pursue my own creative journey and really step out into pursuing creativity for myself. And so for me, you know, my big lesson from that period was that an apprenticeship takes many forms. And so you've really got to do what you can with what you've got and always be curious, follow your curiosity. And, and really that was what that blog was for me. It was me following my curiosity and it really, you know, it's, it's become so many other things, you know, it became my homeware shop. It's now become this podcast, you know, and, and I'm sure it will continue to evolve again. And so, um, it was just, it was such a pivotal time in my own creative journey and, and also monetizing that process as well. I mean, at the time, for those of you who remember blogs back in the day, I had, um, a sidebar and would advertise and I had, I don't know, at some point I had like maybe 10 different advertisers and they would pay a certain amount. I think it was like $300 maybe for a month, something like that. And so I was like, wow, I can actually even make money off this. Um, and so it was one of those things that I was still doing the same amount of work. I didn't have to do more work, but if I sold more advertising, obviously I could leverage that time and really start to learn about, um, again, leveraging your time for money as well. So the next stage was in 2008, I had my first child and, um, and this was, you know, a big transition for me. I was still, I still had to work. I mean, I didn't basically stop working. I continued to freelance for the magazine. Even while I was on maternity leave, they would give me all these features for the advertising department because we really needed the money at the time. And, um, but I, about, this is going to sound crazy. I, I don't even know if I'd do this again. Maybe I would. I, yeah, I think, <laughs> I think I would. I mean, look, no judgment here, but when my son was about nine months old, from about six months old, I had to put him in into childcare because we couldn't afford for me not to work. And, um, and then when I was, um, when he was about nine months old, I got the opportunity to travel to Africa on safari at this major resort and write a travel feature for House and Garden magazine. And I just, I couldn't say no to it. Like it, it is still to this day, one of my favorite travel experiences ever. And it's left such a huge imprint on me, that experience and the smell of Africa, like the grasses and the people and, and even the design of the spaces. And I remember thinking like, I want to create spaces like this. It was 
really had a huge impact on me. And, you know, and to then see like my feature that I wrote and it was, I got paid for that. And, um, and I had, I got paid for my, uh, photos that got featured in the magazine as well. And so, you know, and this is a lesson that I keep learning over and over again, which is do the work that doesn't feel like work. So often, you know, when I'm doing that kind of work, it just, it lights me up. And, and I just think that is for me anyway, that is the kind of work that I want to do. Then in 2010, um, I then put my hand up to do some interior styling for the magazine. This was, I've shared this story before, so I won't kind of take too long. And I, I realize this is probably a longer episode than some of the other ones. Um, but, um, I just had this whisper within and it was getting louder and louder. And I was still predominantly a writer on the magazine, you know, producing, editing, all of those things. But I would see these interior stylists go to people's homes, style them, go to the studios, create these sets and style them. And I just thought, I really want to do this. Like, I just was so curious and I just wanted to try and that whisper was getting louder and louder to the point where I thought, I've just got to try. And I went to the editor and asked her and even more scary than her saying no was that she said yes. And then I kind of had to do it. And it was a real baptism of fire, but I actually loved it. And um, it was, it then became this thing that then I was working every fortnight. I was producing a new feature and like doing a huge massive shoot on top of my job as a deputy editor. And I wasn't getting paid any more money to do this. And this is kind of a bit of a theme that has come up throughout my career is that I, you know, I did it when I was doing my master's, I would just do the work and do it so I could build up my portfolio. Um, You know, I did it in, you know, this time as well, where I was basically working for the magazine, doing two jobs and getting paid for one but it allowed me to create that portfolio. It allowed me to learn. And it was such an important part of my journey. Now, so my big lesson from that was to really listen to the whisper within. And that is my big encouragement for you. And the next year, I, um, I had my daughter. And this was my, my first daughter. That was in 2011. And it really then did start to get too much to have two young children. They were three years apart to be doing two jobs, basically at the magazine as plus doing like freelance writing on the side as well. And basically at the end of every shoot, I was, you know, getting cold sores on my mouth. I was so run down and something had to give. And again, it was like this whisper was building within me that I sort of realized that, you know, it was just. I had to make a change and my boss was actually very encouraging of it. And, um, and she said, you know, if you want to go freelance, like we'll still, we'll, we'll hire you. Like you can be a freelancer for us. And so it was a very safe way to step out of that salaried job, but it was a huge significant step. I mean, no one in my family had ever done anything like that. They'd all had, you know, traditional nine to five type jobs. And it was a big, big move for me. But, um, you know, it was, it was a huge, huge moment. And, you know, I had to think like, should I get an agent? Um, you know, all of those questions, but because I had worked for free basically for so long and really created my best work, 
what I have found time and time again is that clients will come for you. Um, so my, you know, big lesson there and my encouragement to you is always create your best work. You just never know where it's going to lead you. And, um, because I did that while I was working on the magazine, basically, as soon as I went freelance, I, I never had to go out and look for work. I was just constantly being offered jobs by both Real Living Magazine and then other publications too, including House and Garden, Inside Out, Country Star Magazine. Um, you know, I was working for a whole range of them. And, um, you know, so it's so important that you always do your best work. Then shortly after that period, and well, it's kind of all wrapped up in this period, um, I went freelance about six months, I'd say, after photographer Chris Warns. And maybe actually we went at the same time. It was three months or six weeks. I don't know. Anyway, it was about the same time, let's just say that. And we knew that magazines and I mean, kind of the editor would joke with us and she'd say like, we need house features <laughs> because it was always at that time so hard to find, find house features. And so we decided to team up. Look, others had been doing this. We weren't inventing something new, but we had an advantage because we had actually worked on staff. So we knew exactly. And he had worked as the art director of both Real Living and Bell magazine. And he knew, you know, what magazines wanted in terms of, you know, that well, he could do the photography, but also the kind of shots they needed for the layouts. And I could write and style and find the homes. And so we teamed up and created an editorial content agency called Warns and Walton. And basically we started creating and selling features to magazines and then later licensing our images to an agent in Milan. This was an incredibly successful business for us because again, we were able to leverage our time. We were able to do a shoot once and sell it many times. And we were, you know, there was just the two of us, but we were incredibly efficient and it was a very profitable business. You know, I would, as I said, source the home style and write them. And Chris would do the photography and then create the layouts that we would then send to the editors. And we knew exactly what the magazines wanted. Whereas some other duos that would team up, you know, they would create images and like half of them wouldn't get used. Whereas we actually were incredibly efficient with our times, our time on the shoot because we knew exactly what to focus our time and energy on us. And then we had, you know, brands content contacting us to work with us. So the big lesson for that period was that if you want to have a successful business, you need to solve a problem. And that's what we were doing. We were solving the problem for that magazine editors because they just didn't have the time or the resources to find homes to feature in their magazines. And we were finding um, them for them. And, um, and so it was a really, really great little business that we had together. Then, um, in 2014, I then started to get advertising clients want to work with me. And this was when, um, I worked with freedom. I'd actually created, a, an advertorial for them when I was working for the magazine and they really loved it and wanted me to do a catalog shoot for them. And then later on, I did a Christmas shoot for them. And, um, we did this big, massive, massive shoot. It was like a TV commercial and it was just a experience in a completely different type of styling. And I'm really glad that I did it. I learned so much on that, but I also realized that it was not for me. I did a few others for some other clients as well. And I really 
realized that, you know, I know so many stylists still from back my styling days in Sydney who are still doing those kind of shoots. You know, they're working for Country Road or all these other sort of big brands. Um, it's just, it doesn't fulfill me, that type of work. And so my big lesson from that was you, you have to know what fills your cup. So really focus on what fills your cup. And for me, doing those types of shoots, it was just too far away from the creative process. It just became about being on set, waiting around, you know, having 10 different people give their opinion. And it just took the joy out of it for me. And so that was a big lesson for me. And I actually stepped away from that type of work because it was not, even though it paid really well, and there are lots of styles out there that do that and they get an assistant to help them. And basically the assistant does all the work and they're almost more like a creative director. It was like, I just don't want to do that work. It just doesn't fulfill me. So at the end of 2014, um, so still around that same time period, my husband sold his business that he had with my stepfather and, um, he'd had a 24 month contract, which, um, you know, he completed that. And so we made a big decision together as a family that I really loved what I did. As I mentioned, we were doing really well with Wards and Walton. I was earning good money. And we made the decision that he would be the stay at home dad. Um, and I would become the sole income earner. And to be honest, it was actually a really honest, it's a, sorry, a really easy decision. And we made it reasonably fast. It just made sense. We didn't like deliberate over it for a long time because he would have to then go out and get a job. He didn't really necessarily love what he was doing. I did really, really love what I was doing. And, um, you know, and we were, you know, we had enough money and it was, it was working really well. So my big, um, my big lesson from that period is to listen to your gut. You know, when something is the right decision. And I think Often when we're unsure of a decision, it can be because it's the wrong decision. When something feels really right, you know often instantly. And similarly, you can kind of often pivot out of a, you know, you can do something and think, nope, this is not right. Like what happened when I went into the advertising styling, um, it was like, no, this is not right. And so I could make a decision quickly that, no, I don't want to do this type of work anymore, even though it pays much, much better. I just was not interested. So then um, a couple of years after that, um, I launched Imprint House. And this, there was, look, there've been so many lessons that I have been learned on my journey. At the time, um, I had just had my fourth child, my son, Um, around the time we um, I became the sort of sole income owner. We had had my third child, my daughter, and, um, I was working, we were both working at that period. And then shortly after that, that's when I became the sole income owner. And then, um, we launched Imprint House. And as I mentioned, this was, we had actually done a big tree change, which I've spoken about before. And, um, it was, then sort of start to think about, okay, I'd had my blog daily imprint imprint for a long time. I had an audience that really loved and had like such a passionate and enthusiastic, um, like newsletter list of people who had been on the daily imprint newsletter list, you know, to get the the blog posts every day. And, um, and so it's like, what am I going to, cause I didn't want to just keep going down. I didn't want to be a blogger. I didn't want to, that was not my 
passion and I didn't want to go down that path of monetizing the blog even more. And so it was this kind of crossroads of what are we going to do? We're moving to the country. Magazines were starting to change. Um, We'd had a really good run with Warns and Walton, but it was harder for me to travel into the city to do the shoots. Plus Instagram was now starting to, you know, mean that magazines were finding it easier to find um, homes to feature in their publications. And so it was time to make a change and we decided to launch Imprint House. It actually, originally, I was going to start with quite a different idea. Um, And it was going to be selling the wares of the people who I featured on um, Daily Imprint. But we decided to test with you know, the, the shipping and the logistics, because I wanted to do art and all of these things. And, um, so we decided to launch a small capsule collection of 20 everyday essentials. And, um, you know, I was like about 38 weeks, weeks pregnant when we did the shoot with Chris, he came up to, um, where we were living on the central coast. And we did this big shoot of all these products, like three different versions of all these so like 60 shots in a day which is a massive shoot well it was actually more than 60 shots I think it was probably close to over 100 shots which when you're walking up and down stairs when you're about 38 weeks pregnant it was (laughs) it was one of the crazy things I did um but um what one of the big lessons that I learned which while we tested the concept, we wanted to test the shipping and the online shop and all of those things. And that was really good. I feel that we weren't really responding to necessarily a need in the, in the audience. So as I mentioned before, um, when we had Wands and Walton, we were really solving a problem. And I assumed, because I would go to all these photo shoots and you know, people would have these really tired old tea towels and other things, or they didn't have a nice vase. And so I basically had in this capsule collection, all the styling things that I would take along to people's homes that were often missing. But I do feel that a piece of that ingredient was that, um, you know, is that what people really wanted? And so it did take a while to kind of get the sort of momentum that before we started to get products that really started to, you know, get traction. And so what I learned from that, um, you know, that experience was that I didn't really test the market in the right kind of way. And there's this idea of a minimum viable product. This is something that they talk a lot about in Silicon Valley. How can you create a minimum viable product for your idea to test it and to see what works? And, And to be honest, that is actually kind of what we did. But what I didn't really do was kind of get that feedback and go, oh, okay, that's interesting, that feedback from the, um, from the marketplace and then adapt. I did a little bit, but I don't think, you know, I've learned so much about that whole process. So my encouragement for you would be to make sure that if you do want to launch something, launch a minimum viable product and then always be testing. So in the um, following year, 2017, I um, took my youngest daughter to Melbourne. Um, she was about five months old. Well, actually, this is where the dates get funny because I know that I worked on my book, This Is Home, in 2017. And yet my daughter, <laughs> I remember taking her on a plane to meet the publisher in Melbourne. And I remember she was about five months old. 
and yet it just doesn't match up my deck. So I don't know where I'm going wrong here. But anyway, the point of the story is that I had always, like my biggest, biggest dream, I had always been to publish a book. And for many, many years, I tried to write a novel and it just didn't work for various reasons. And maybe it still will happen one day. But as you can imagine, as I mentioned, I came from an English literature background. And so I really, really wanted to publish a book. And um, I had actually tried about 10 years prior, but I had went to two other publishers and basically they both knocked me back. And I now realized that I was really too focused on what others were creating and not focused on creating with my own voice. So this has been a big lesson for me is you really need to find your own voice, your visual voice, your, you know, your writing voice. Um, when it relates to styling and design, you know, it's like your personal style. Um, that is like your imprint, your voice. That's why I use the word imprint all the time. It's, it's such a key ingredient to anything to do with creativity and even business and all of those different areas. So then the next year, as part of the book launch, I had a pop-up shop in Sydney. Um, we were still living on the Central Coast. And I remember reading a book by Paul Arden called It's Not How Good You Are, It's How Good You Want to Be. And I will put a link to that in the show notes. And it really started to change my thinking about what I wanted to create. Because up until this point, I've been very much a stylist for hire. And now it was time to start stepping into the world of what we now really call, you know, creating a personal brand. But it didn't really get called that at that point. And, um, and I just, again, I had this kind of whisper within that I really wanted to have a workshop on my property. And I had been working as a stylist for so many years by that point, you know, almost a decade. Um, and I had learned so many lessons and I just, I was just ready to, because he sort of had this quote in that book about, you know, give away everything and more will come back to you. And I really questioned that, but I just kind of had this thing of like, yeah, I just should share what I've learned, you know, I'll share what I've learned in a workshop. And, um, so again, like I kind of had to listen to that whisper within, this is, like I said, it just keeps coming back to me. And, um, and so I put a call out and said, you know, does anyone want to come to this workshop and more again, like more scary. Well, I was petrified actually that no one would show, show up or maybe worse two people, but actually it sold out within about, um, 24 hours. And it just, it really then changed the course of my creative business journey in so many ways, because up until that point, as I said, I'd very much been a stylist for hire and with creating my first book and putting myself out there, I really started to realize, because at that point I had never really shown my face on Instagram. I didn't like, I was like, I kind of, you know, I, if I'm going to be really honest, I kind of looked down on people who were sort of taking selfies and sharing photos of themselves. And because it wasn't very common at that point, but there were definitely some people who were doing it. And I just felt like that is definitely not for me. And um, it's funny, I mean, to this point, I still don't really share selfies as such, but, um, and, but I kind of realized I'd put my heart and soul into creating my book. And I knew that to give it its best possible chance in the world, I had to actually start putting myself out there. I had to position myself as someone who was an expert. And even now, 
I, I kind of always struggle to say that, which is ridiculous because, you know, I've been working in this industry for 15 years and, you know, I have learned so much. I've done so much. I've experienced so much. And, you know, I am an expert and yet I still, even if I say it, I struggle to say it. And it's just incredible how we have these stories in our head about what we can and can't say about ourselves. But, um, but that book was very much the stepping stone for me stepping into my future. And so that is my encouragement for you is, you know, to step into what do you want your future to look like? What do you want your creative journey to look like? What do you want your creative business to look like? And really envisage that and step into that. And you've got to just, I remember saying to myself at the time, I've just got to get over myself. And, you know, I had all these stories in my head about not showing my photo on Instagram or not being, you know, like not being one of those sort of people and, you know, had all these stories. And I just thought, no, I've just got to get over myself. Like I've got to, I've got this business, I've got this shop, I've got this book. I've just got to get out there and, you know, share the word. And I knew that people connect with people, people connect with stories, you know, they don't connect with like an anonymous person behind a brand. So you know, that is my big encouragement for you is that you step into your future. Well, what happened after I did that workshop was I then had so many people all around the world saying, I remember distinctly someone in Switzerland and someone in Mexico saying, can you do like an online version of your workshop? And I thought, well, I, yeah, I guess I can. And and so that's what I did. And because I had that experience of working in magazines I created it almost like a magazine. You know, I created PDFs and I basically went, I'm just going to share everything that I've learned about working as an interior stylist. And, um, and so, you know, the big lesson, and it was really successful and it's still to this day is my signature course. It is my most successful, um, program. I've had thousands of students from more than 40 countries around the world, um, take the course. I've been teaching for five years. And it's I just earlier today was doing a live QA. It's amazing. I love connecting with students in there. And it really has, you know, Paul Arden was right. You know, give away everything you know and more will come back to you. And that truly has happened to me. And so the big lesson that I learned then, and this would be what I wanted to share with you, is that when you create a business, you really need to to listen and respond to what people are asking you. And so, you know, that is what I want to share with you because people were asking me, you know, just like the editors were saying, can you please find house features for us? And so when I did that workshop, people were saying, you know, can you please create an online course? And so I listened and it's so important to listen to what people are actually asking you for. And, um, and that has proved incredibly, you know, successful for me in terms of, you know, running a business, supporting my family, um, you know, earning money, earning a living, and it's been incredibly rewarding as well. Now, around that time, as I mentioned, you know, magazine features were um, really starting to dry up because, um, you know, I'd moved away from the city. And so, and at that point, imprint how like I wasn't yet getting many royalties from the book now I actually get you know quite a a handsome royalty from my books um and I imprint house was very much in its infancy 
and I was no longer really doing the freelance work for the magazines because they had no budget. So lots of things were changing. While the course was doing well, we still had to get a little bit scrappy. And during this particular season of my life, I really realized that, um, you know, first of all, sometimes you do have to get scrappy. Secondly, that your home really is one of your best resources. It's how you can make money relatively easily. And so we would go away and put our home on Airbnb. We listed, you know, we would get, you know, I don't know, something like $600 a night. Um, we would, um, we listed it with a photo agency and we would get paid about a thousand dollars a day to, um, rent it out that way. It was a bit of a juggle and it wasn't something that, because it was our own home that we wanted to do permanently, but it certainly got us out of a few scrapes. And, um, it was a really, you know, one of those times where, um, you know, sometimes you've got to get scrappy, but then ultimately I really realized that, um, you've got to do things that make your life easy as well. So then after I had launched my book, I started to get more and more requests for consulting. And, and that was because I was putting that out there as well. I've kind of pulled back on that a little bit because I need to get the systems and structures back in place to be able to do more interior design work. And that's actually something that I'm looking at doing. And um, so, you know, if you're curious about that, then let me know. I would love to speak to you. But um, at the time I was, I had several of the parents from the school who wanted me to help them with their interiors. And, um, and I really enjoyed it, but I found that, you know, first of all, you've got to, I was charging an hourly rate, be driving backwards and forwards to site. Um, you know, there was lots of work that would go into helping create the designs. And I really realized during that period of doing lots of consulting work for interiors was that you not only need to charge your time, but you need to charge the opportunity cost. So for me, the opportunity cost was that while I was doing that, you know, I wasn't selling my courses or I wasn't making money in other ways, which were sometimes much easier ways to make money. So it's really important to factor in the opportunity cost when you are pricing your services as well. We moved to Byron Bay in 2018. And this was a time where, um, you know, I had my signature course, but people were, you know, they were interested in more. And I realized that, you know, I needed to um, create some other courses because there was interest, you know, well, actually one of the big things was when I, um, when I was doing all the consulting, I found that I was getting asked the same questions over and over again. And then I did my big studio build on my property and it was, okay, <laughs> I'm just going to put everything that I've learned about designing homes into one course and people can take that. And so, you know, that was, um, and I approached it quite differently to how I originally created my first course. And a big part of that was because I invested in my own education. And I started to realize the importance of growing my email list. And, um, you know, I was listening to business and marketing podcasts and doing courses in business and marketing. And really, I really learned that when you invest in your own education with time or money, it really is one of your best investments. And, um, you know, my big encouragement for you is to invest in yourself. Of course, you can do this with time. So you can do this by reading books, listening to podcasts. You know, you don't necessarily have to spend money, 
But when you do spend money and you invest in your education, you invest in yourself, what happens when you do that, you know, and actually spend the money is that you actually get there so much quicker. And every year you don't know those lessons, you're actually not making that money. And so you're not only delaying the process, but you're actually losing money effectively in the process as well, if that makes sense. So we're getting towards the end. Um, and you know, some of these next lessons have been really pivotal for me in more recent years. So in around 2018, I really got to the point where, you know, I just realized I couldn't do everything. I was doing all the things I was writing, I was designing, I was creating books, I was traveling the world. I was just doing too many things as well as having my shop. And, um, and so I actually started a process of annual planning and I would, um, I would actually get these big, um, sheets of paper that like a printable that I would buy. Um, and I would put them on a cork board in my office and I would plan out the entire year. And this was so helpful for me because it really then helped me learn how to focus on what was most important. And so I would put all the school holidays in first. And so then I could see the school terms and then it's like, okay, during the school terms, I'm going to focus on one major project each school term. And so often that was teaching a course or creating a course or, you know, working on a design project. And just doing that meant that then I would prioritize my time. And then I dug even deeper in terms of like, okay, so these are, you know, this is how I'm going to spend this, this term. And then I would break it down into the weeks and then the days and how am I going to prioritize each day. And so I really learned how to say no, because I had, you know, with four children by this point, I had limited time and it was really important to make sure I was spending that time on the things that were actually going to bring in money for my family. You know, like I said, you know, I'm supporting my family. So it was really important to learn how to say no. And that has been a huge lesson for me. Um, around the same time when we moved up here, we were invited to join Nuribar Merchants, which is in the little village of Nuribar in the hinterland of Byron Bay for our shop imprint house. And it really helped us grow. It was a huge turning point in our business because we had to invest in more stock. We also had to get staff to help restock the spaces, especially over the really busy Christmas period and school holiday period. Because up until then, we'd pretty much done everything ourselves. And while I'd had assistance um, when I was doing styling for the magazines, um, I, you know, this was a little bit different. It was a different kind of staff. And so it was really about hiring and training a team. And, you know, that really is another way to leverage your time, especially when you know and you can learn how to do that well. And that has been very much a huge learning journey for me. Um, you know, I haven't always done it well. There are things that I've done that, you know, I wish I'd done better. And there's definitely been challenges with it. But it has also been um, one of the most, um, you know, the best ways for us to grow our business. So my, you know, big lesson there is it's really important to get help. And this can also look like earlier on um, when I had my third child and I actually I had to have cesareans. You know, we got an au pair for a while and I'm still in contact with um, 
our au pair, which is not our au pair anymore, Alyssa, who was originally from Italy and because we were learning Italian and um, we really tried to get to her wedding. She had got married recently and, you know, so we're still in contact with her. Um, you know, we had a cleaner. We still have a cleaner now, but we've gone through phases where we haven't, you know, getting help can look so different in different seasons, but it is really important if you want to grow your business that you're focusing on the things that only you can do and try and outsource the other things and during this period then I created my book still of course um, then the pandemic came and I was actually trying to launch the book during the pandemic that was a whole other story Um, and then I'm going to kind of skip over the whole pandemic let's I mean it was good and bad you know I mean we kind of did reasonably well during that period I know lots of other people struggled Homewares businesses, I think, generally did quite well during that period. But I think lots of businesses are now struggling because there is this kind of like um, pandemic hangover with all the money that was handed out. And now interest rates have been going up. And, you know, we all know that story that's going on. But um, in 2022, it was really about growing our businesses. You know, I'd created more courses, a course on simplifying sharing the lessons that I learned while creating my book still, as well as the process that I had used to simplify my own home and life. And, um, you know, there will always be a number of your biggest fans or customers who, who really want to have something of everything that you do. And so that was also, you know, it's important to have different offers for your customers. And, um, during this time, we also grew our team. So for Imprint House, we've got a couple of people in our warehouse, we've got a bookkeeper, Um, We've got someone who does um, remotely sort of our accounts, um, an admin assistant, and my husband, Daniel, works in operations. And then we've got for um, the, what we call Team Walton, we've got uh, got a design assistant and a marketing assistant, and we've got a freelancer who helps with the Styling Masterclass community because we have lots of engagement in there, which is amazing, and me. So, you know, we've got a team of eight, and so, you know, there's so much growth that comes with that and so many lessons and one of the biggest ones has been that systems um, really help you grow and keep communication clear and effective and that systems will set you free and that has really been a game changer for our business in so many ways all right if you're still here I hope you are I know that's been a very long episode but I wanted to give you a bit of context because these are some of the big lessons I've learned and I'm going to be going into these and more over the coming weeks as part of this series. So the first lesson, quickly recap, you never know until you try. That was me getting published as a writer. Lesson two, hard work pays off. That was when I first started working as a journalist and very quickly got promoted um, and had 10 staff onto me at the age of 24 to buy my first apartment. Lesson three, leverage your income. And there was this relation to buying and renovating homes and just how powerful your home is to help you um, generate money. Lesson four was make the most of what you got. That was the lesson I learned when I lived in London and just had to make the best of, um, as Elizabeth Gilbert says, a shit sandwich. Um, lesson five is to follow your bliss. And that is something that I try and remind myself of regularly. Lesson six is to be, be, be patient. Your time will come. Um, that was a big lesson that I learned when I was working on the medical newspaper and I was really struggling with that. So if you're in one of those seasons, 
Be patient, your time will come. Lesson seven was to do what you love and the results will follow. That was my experience when I started working at Real Living Magazine. Number eight is creativity is being resourceful. It's really how you get stuff done. Again, I learned that while I was working on the magazine. Lesson nine is to follow your curiosity. And that's what I did when I created my blog, Daily Imprint, and it has opened so many doors for me. Number 10 is to do the work that doesn't feel like work. And that was, um, I was referencing when I went to Africa and taking photos and even working on the magazine and doing what I do today. Honestly, it doesn't feel like work at all. Uh, Lesson 11 is to listen, listen to that whisper within. That was one that I learned specifically when I decided I wanted to style. But again, I've learned that one over and over again. So if you've got a whisper within, really listen to it. Lesson 12 is to always create your best work. And, um, you know, for me, sometimes that looks like working for free. And just even if you are working for free, still create your best works and the clients will come to you. You know, I didn't need to get an agent because I already had work ready to go when I went freelance. Lesson 13 is if you want a successful business, you need to solve a problem. I learned that when I created the business Warns on Walton with photographer Chris Warns. Lesson 14 is to focus on what fills your cup and notice what doesn't. And for me, that was working on big commercial advertising shoots and catalogs. It just wasn't right for me. Lesson 15 was to listen to your gut. You know when something is right. And for me, you know, becoming the sole breadwinner or the sort of sole income earner for my family, um, because I really loved what I did. Um, That was just like, you know, a hell yes. As um, I think it's, oh gosh, what's his name? Uh, From the Essentialism book. Greg, someone, McCown, um, he says that, you know, if it's a hell yes or a hell no, um, but you should do only do hell yes, obviously. Um, uh, lesson 16, I think we're up to, um, always be testing. So really try and create a minimum viable product when you're thinking about launching something so that you can kind of test it and see if it works and you can iron it out before you invest more time and money into growing it. Lesson 17 was to find your voice. And when I did, that's when I got a book deal. And as I mentioned, you know, I um, earned, you know, a good amount of money from the royalties of those books. Lesson 18 is to step into your future. Um, You never know until you'll try. And like I said, I was sharing the story of how I really had to um, get over myself and step into the, you know, the life that I wanted to have and the career that I wanted to have and the type of work that I wanted to do. And you've got to make a conscious choice and step into that. Lesson 19 is to listen to what others are asking you. So this was something that I learned when um, I created Warns and Walton with uh, Chris Warns. You know, we were listening to what the magazine editors needed, which was house featured. And then when I did the workshop and people were saying, can you do an online course? So it was really about listening to what others are asking you. Listen, so I'm listening to you as well, by the way. (laughs) So tell me, tell me, tell me what you're really struggling with when it comes to your own creative journey, when it comes to your own creative business. I really, really want to know. So please, you can send me a DM on Instagram or at Natalie Walton, or you can email me hello at nataliewalton.com. 
I would really, really love to hear. I'm all ears right now because I've just got this whisper within and I feel like I need to do something with it. But um, I obviously, you know, I just want to explore this. And this is what this whole series is about. Lesson 20 is to make it easy. Um, you know, you can always make money from your home, but, you know, make it easy for yourself. Lesson 21, factor in the opportunity cost. This is really important when you're charging your time. Factor in the opportunity cost of like, well, if you're doing this, then what are you not doing? And you've always got to factor in like the time that it takes to travel to see somebody. Obviously, Zoom makes it easier now and those kind of platforms, but you've got to factor in the whole amount of time that it takes you when you're charging for your time. Lesson 22 is to invest in yourself. Um, your This can be in your own education. It's so important and you can invest in yourself in terms of time or money. But when you invest financially in your education, you will get results quicker, which will make you money faster, which will, um, you know, it, it's just like this positive cycle of reinforcement. Lesson 23, learn how to say no. Um, it's really important to focus on your most important tasks, plan those out, and then really get clear on what you should be doing and saying no to what you shouldn't be doing. And which kind of leads into lesson 24, which is to get help. And this can look like getting people to help you with your home, maybe some chores, maybe it's, um, you know, those, we don't do this, but those meal delivery services where, you know, you get all the ingredients and maybe that will save you time. It can be so many different ways um, that you can do this, but um, hiring and training a team is another way that you can leverage your time and money. And that is something that we have been going through and it's made a huge difference. And number 25 is that systems set you free. And um, this is kind of, I think people, particularly creatives, can sometimes rail against the idea of systems, but they are actually incredibly powerful and they can free up so much time and they are basically how I get so much done. So I would love to know what you think. Um, this episode is going to be a little bit different to some of the future episodes in relation to this series, because I'm going to actually be going deeper into some of these ideas as well as other ideas on how you can actually turn your passion and turn it into a profit, how you can earn a living from doing what you love and how you can make your creativity come to life and, you know, be a fulfilling and rewarding career for you. So as I mentioned, I would really love to hear what you think. Um, you can, of, of course, as always, send me a DM on Instagram or leave a comment in the review. Um, so while this series is running, there will be two episodes a week of the podcast. Um, the one about creative business is going to be on a Tuesday and the other ones will be on a Thursday. And, you know, over the years, I've been a creative, I've been an educator and an entrepreneur. I'm still all of those things. And so with this series, I'm going to be sharing my biggest lessons with you in relation to these three key areas. And as I said, I hope you find it helpful and thank you so much for joining me today. And until next time, I hope you have a beautiful week. All of the links and info for this episode are at nataliewalton.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so that you can get a direct download of the latest episode. 
And I really appreciate when you take a minute to rate and review, as well as share the love with someone you know who might benefit from this episode or on social media. If you'd like to access a range of free resources, come visit my website, nataliewalton.com. Thank you to Jaeger Media for producing this podcast. And I would also like to acknowledge the people of the Bundjalung Nation where it was recorded and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. I look forward to connecting again soon. I'm Natalie Walton and you've been listening to Imprint. Imprint.